This is a podcast recording for the nature of things. This podcast was initially recorded on March 18th, 1988. We've heard quite a bit in the last few days about the Gaia hypothesis, an idea based on an age-old stability in the life processes about us. The fact, for instance, that despite the freedom to wander, the supplies of oxygen and carbon dioxide in the air tend to be stable. The Gaia suggests that this is true because the global system is self-controlling, which is to say that our earthbound environment operates like an organism, is seemingly invested with a life of its own. That interested me because I've been maintaining for years that ecosystems I observe behave like organisms. Of course, my use of the idea was metaphorical, not scientific, another way to paint a word picture. Enter a woodland in late spring, and you have to be impressed by the liveliness of the scene. Wood thrush, vireo, warbler, and woodpecker enter their vocal signatures on the wind, more or less, while deer and mouse and raccoon and squirrel go about their business more quietly. Being unobtrusive, their presence is often uh, detected after the fact by signs that they've left. Still, all of the creatures are there, sleeping, eating, contending, making use of the vegetation and the terrain as, their, as is their wont. It doesn't take too many hours of quiet observation to reveal that there is at least a loose kind of interrelationship between many of the organisms. The ties may be long and slack, but they are there. Sometimes the relationship is more one of avoidance than of attraction, but there is an undeniable interlacing nonetheless. Witness the following. Find an observation post with a wide-angle view of the woodland and just observe quietly. Let's say it's in early June when the calendar says it's still spring, but when a roof of branches and foliage, a wall of tree trunks and more foliage, and a leaf mold floor from which hundreds of green plants are sprouting, defines a room. Within this living room is a great variety of activity, including many disembodied voices you hope to identify and observe. So you watch, and if you're good at what you're doing, it won't be too long before you've located a wood thrush or a redstart's nest watched a red squirrel move its young, or even seen a doe with her newborn twins as she pauses in a secluded place for them to nurse. There is a certain deja vu quality in all of this, for it is an expression of the normal, seemingly peaceful state. But let a screech owl, concealed for the day in the thickest part of a hemlock copse, utter just a few notes, and the woodland is electrified, first to silence, and then rapidly to a new level of activity, where territorial boundaries disappear and the musical sounds are rapidly replaced by shrill cries, liquid quirts, and metallic chips as jays, thrushes, tanagers, robins, and warblers assemble in response to this obviously unwelcome intrusion. The show goes on for some time until the owl retires to some place where he no longer threatens. Then, out of sight, out of mind, and after a few minutes in which the nervous energy is slowly dissipated and the noises of protest uh, recede, the whole thing begins to crank back into action at the old pre-owl level of domesticity with vireos first, then thrushes and tanagers resuming their territorial proclamations. And now that congregating of species is no longer welcome, for a dozen territorial boundaries have once more been proclaimed, written on the wind, as Aldo Leopold put it and they will be exquisitely adhered to within the species. The forest floor is like a stage upon which dozens of one-act plays are performed, some comedies, some tragedies, some with small casts of one species, others with casts of dozens, even 
as with the owl songbird drama, including a dozen species. It would be possible to contend that every playlet is a separate disembodied occurrence without relationship to any other. That might contradict the Gaia hypothesis, and it might not. Two facts make me cling to the ecosystem organism idea which I espouse. One is the combination of sequence and ebb and flow, which give the individual trademark to each woodlot. The other is the energy budget under which each ecosystem operates. Only a certain number of energy transactions are possible within any ecosystem and any growing season if the steady state is to be maintained. And there is an amazing orderliness in that. So I would maintain, while I don't pretend to know about the merit of the Gaia hypothesis itself, I can respond positively to the thought that there is a broad scenario for everything in creation which transcends the seeming chaos of the ecosystem play. I like the fact that I can predict the overall performance of what I observe and still find serendipity in the details. Well, that's all I have for this week. This is John Weeks saying thanks for listening. Tune in next week and keep it natural.